Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of MTG Fast Finance, your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here with you all again for our fourth show. We're sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in our hobby. Travis, what do we got going on today? Well, James, this week we've got four segments. Our first segment is the top movers. We'll, we'll be looking at the cards that have gained the most value this past week. Then we're going to hit on cards that you and I are interested in buying, uh, cards that we think have good prospects for making you money. Our next segment is going to be a quick discussion of the Pro Tour this past weekend. And then we're going to jump right into our guest this week. We have Andrew Brown from Team East West Bowl. He was part of the team that created the Blue Red Aldrazi deck that won. He took sixth place himself in the event. Uh, all right, so that should be fun, but let's hop in right at this top. So, James, why don't you get us started with our first card this week? Sure. So one of the cards on the move this week is Painter's Servant out of Shadowmoor, uh, single printing. Uh, started the weekend around $12, and once people started theorizing that this thing was going to be some kind of tech against the Eldrazi, um, it's finished up in about in and around $30 for about 150% gain. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm surprised to see Painter Servant finally take off in this fashion, but the card has always been extremely unique. Uh, and just waiting the waiting the break, and I guess this was the the straw on the proverbial camel's back. Um, so no surprise there that we finally got there. I mean, one of the this is one of those cards that is you know a poster child for unique magic cards. If you when you're trying to decide what to put your spec money into, look for cards like this that have effects that no other card has. Um, these are the kind of things that may sit around in your bulk box for years, but eventually make you a lot of money. And in this particular case, I think it's it's time to get off this train. Um, that's a really big spike. Um, you know, you can make ten or fifteen dollars a copy, even if you bought in recently. And if you were holding them for longer, you're probably looking at more like twenty to twenty five. Um, the reality is that Painter Servant is not going to be a nail in the coffin for the Eldrazi because they can use Dismember or Path to Exile or Wasteland Strangler or Allah's Dust to clear those kind of threats off the table. Um, it, it's not the same kind of thing as Stony Silence versus Affinity. So uh, get out while the getting is good, folks. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. All right, next up we have Death Shadow, uh, the foil version in particular from World Wake. Came in the week at about 8 bucks. Uh, right now it's about 30 for about 275% gain, and we're only at our second card today. This was a major part of the Death's Shadow Zoo deck that we saw show up at the Pro Tour that kind of kind of blew it under the radar a little bit because so much of the attention has been on Eldrazi. Uh, but this deck did have a pretty meaningful appearance, and people really like this. Uh, Death's Shadow has been popular in the past. This isn't the first time the cards budged in price, and this is just the first time we're really we're seeing it move again. Uh, this is a deck that lowers its own life total playing things like Thought Seize and shocking itself intentionally. Uh, we had a, a bit of a casual following for years as well. So, you know, the, the foils already move pretty dramatically. And if we haven't seen the paper copy do that yet, I would not be surprised to see that in the near future, especially as this is a deck that could possibly compete with Eldrazi or an Eld even an Eldrazi list format in the future. 
the situation right now is that I mean Eldrazi comes so f- out of the gate so fast that you you need to be playing something that's that's equally fast or faster. Um, and Death Shadow decks like Death Shadow, Infect, and and the Naya Burn builds at least have a shot at getting in enough damage and putting them on their back heels um, if they don't get their optimal draws. Um, so a, a card that has probably hit its plateau for the time being, and if you were holding, uh, feel free to get off the train. Um, next on our, our list this week is uh, a card that's been near and dear to my heart later lately because it's in my modern deck, um, Descendant's Path. Uh, an enchantment from Avacyn Restored that for two and a green um, basically allows you to, on upkeep, check to see what creature types you have in play, reveal the top card of your deck, and if it's a creature of the same type, put it into play for free. Um, notable here is that it doesn't actually just put it into play, it casts the creature. And so if you have um, an Eldrazi in play and you have Emrakul on top of your deck with this enchantment in play, not only do you get Emrakul into play for free, you get to cast him, which means that you get his extra turn trigger. Um, And even though this didn't show up anywhere at the Pro Tour and is highly unlikely to be a top-tier modern staple, um, it is absolutely going to be a casual staple from here on out, given the the number of interactions with the Eldrazi. Um, the card has gone from $1.50 to $6. I could easily see it hitting 10 down the road since it's highly unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon. And, uh, you know, guys like me have been brewing with it for weeks. So um, I, I don't think we've seen the last of this card spikes. Yeah, I hope not. I uh, I picked up about 40 of these copies, 40 of this for like, I don't know, 30 cents or something like that a while ago. It was, I think Justice Avison was leaving the format or shortly thereafter. And I, I recognize it as a card that had a bit of a casual head to it. And, you know, whenever a card says you can cast creatures for free, uh, I'm interested. I want I want to know more about that. So uh, I'm excited to see this here, uh, hoping to see it gain again. But at the same time, I completely agree that this is unlikely to be competitive. So, you know, I've been selling my copies and happy to take the profit where I can get them. Maybe it hits 10 bucks down the road. Uh, you know, I'm not going to hang around to find out. Yep. You can always leave the, the last percentage points for somebody else, folks. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got the Simeon Spirit Guide. Again, you know, we have the foil copy on our list here, but the non-foil spiked too. Uh, we've seen about a 300% gain on the foil copies. I mean, these are are very difficult to find at this point. Uh, commons are still out there, but there's, you know, they're 10 or 15 bucks at this point. Now, Simeon Spirit Guide has one printing from Planar Chaos, which is a, uh, from a time period where Magic was not selling a lot of sets. Um, you know, the card has been relevant for a very long time in Legacy and Modern. So we've seen a lot of the foil copies end up in people's collections and in their Legacy decks already. There is not a glut of copies on the market that is, that's flooding out now that it's suddenly relevant. It's already been relevant. Uh, so that's going to help this card maintain a much higher price tag than it would <clears throat> otherwise, where you see races to the bottom, which you'll notice on a card like Worship. Uh, so, you know, huge price tag. Uh, I got bought out during the sale of a few copies I have listed, but, you know, whatever, still, still not bad. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this hang. You know, I don't think it's going to hang around at like the 80 bucks or 100 bucks it's at right now, but there's I would expect this to not drop below 50 until it's banned. Yeah, I mean, with this kind of a gain on a foil common, um, it's definitely time to get out um, if you happen to be holding on to any of these. I mean, I remember drafting Planar Chaos a lot, and... I can't even imagine how many copies of Simeon Spirit Guide non-foil I threw out when I was discarding of some bulk about five years ago. Um, just goes to prove you should never, ever throw out your bulk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, the next one is Endless One. What's going on with that? Well, Endless One was uh, 
one of the Eldrazi that I flagged early on um, with BFZ that uh, was likely to be a long-term gainer. And here we are just a few short months later with a, this dollar bulk rare jumping to five or six dollars um, based on its inclusion as a four of in almost all of the dominant uh, Eldrazi decks at the Modern Pro Tour this weekend. Um, the ability to cast this thing as a 2-2 on turn one off of uh, Eye of Ugin and quickly ramping it up into a 4-4, 6-6, or an 8-8 late in the game um, made it a, a, a very flexible threat um, in the mirror matches and the kind of card that had to be answered when it hit the table against a lot of other decks. Um, I think it's time to get out on this card. Uh, you, you don't need to get greedy in the face of a 400% gain. Um, I suspect that once Ayavugan gets banned later this year, this card will fall back to bulk status, at which point I will recommend picking it up again. So you might get to go for a double dip this time, folks. I I don't even think it's going to take until this card gets banned. I I did not particularly care for Endless One when it came out, and I still don't. I'm not wild about it now. I mean, we've seen these prices spike because of the fervor around Eldrazi, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this back at under $2 in like two weeks. Um, We'll see. We'll see. So the next thing we have on on the agenda is uh, Angel's Grace Foils, a time spiral rare that was also in one of the Modern Masters sets. Um, foils from the original printing have gone from just under $10 to almost $50 for almost a 500% gain. Um, the card's being played in Ad Nauseam, which is theorized as you know one of the combo decks that might be able to outpace the Eldrazi. Um, and uh, there's very, very few copies left on the market now uh, in Foil. Uh, a few are starting to float back in there around $25, $30, so... If you can get off the train now and trade out somewhere in the $40 to $50 range or even in the high 30s, I think you're in a good position to uh, trade out into something else that uh, has a, a better upside moving forward. You know, pick up some fetch lands or what have you. This is another one where we've got the foil on our list here, but even the non-foil saw some some pretty healthy gains, which is amusing because this is now, I think, more expensive than Ad Nauseam, which is pretty wild when you think about it, given that Ad Nauseam is the, is the combo piece, that is the engine behind the deck and ad nauseum also you see play in legacy and i think maybe even vintage occasionally whereas angel's grace is basically only in that list in the modern list and also was just reprinted in modern masters uh you know i wrote in my article today i really like ad nauseum i like that card and i think that's going to double up and i would not be surprised to be sitting here talking about ad nauseum in in a week or two so uh mark me on that we'll see if it makes our list uh Next up is Eldrazi Obligator. This is from Oath of the Gatewatch. This is another part of that huge Eldrazi spike. This uh, this was a smaller gain. We saw this go from thirty cents to two and a quarter, but that represents a six hundred and fifty percent increase for what was essentially one of the bulkiest rares in the set. It was a four of part of the deck, uh, Andrew Brown's deck and Andrew Brown's team's deck that we're going to talk to later. It was a huge part of stealing reality smashers from your opponents. So. Uh, this is another one, you know, if you had copies around, it's probably gonna be hard to get a lot of cash for them unless you're selling them to local players, but I wouldn't hesitate to buy list these to, to any stores who are looking to restock after they got bought out. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a card that nobody saw coming, um, but proved to be integral tech because the, as you said, the ability to, you know, when you, a lot of these Eldrazi on Eldrazi matches ended up being grindy board stalls where people were just looking for an advantage and the ability to drop an obligator, um, you know, essentially for one mana and then pay another two to steal the biggest thing on the opponent's side, swung a, a bunch of games on camera. Um, it, it is a card that is uh, that 
that was part of that blue red package that looked so janky that that it was actually despite that the fact that the blue red deck went 19 and one on day one we didn't really see buyouts on these cards start start up uh, on the foils until you know midway through day two where the results were just starting to get to the point where they were undeniable um people had a lot of trouble wrapping their heads around the fact that you know these these rares from oath were you know drowner of uh, hope and eldrazi obligator were you know four of staples and modern and uh you know, <laughs> they're not going to be staples for long, but they are certainly powerful tech for the time being. And, uh, uh, you know, we're going to see it's entirely possible the blue red deck could put up some more results before it gets retired. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if this is the deck that preys on the other Eldrazi decks, then yes, especially if you're seeing smaller creatures that might be able to sneak through some of these staring bridges or, or whatever else we see pop up. Maybe it'll be more resilient to the hate as well. <clears throat> I'd be curious to see. Perhaps uh, our buddy Andrew will have some insight on that for us a little later. Uh, our last card of the week is Worship. Uh, this has been printed in, I think, every set in Magic's history at this point. <laughs> it's just like six copies, I think, of Worship floating around. This started out the week at 250 It's finishing around 20 bucks right now for a 700% gain, which is pretty unreal. Uh, Saffron Olive uh, show was been playing this deck in a video series, playing this card in a deck in his video series last week. Uh, it's a, I, well, I feel like we've talked about this card before. I, I don't remember exactly now, but I talked about it with somebody. It's a very interesting card that tends people tend to think is better than it is um, because what will happen is you'll get into a, a game with an opponent, you'll land it, you'll feel safe, and your opponent will just let it sit there until they're ready to kill you, and then finally they'll remove it and then you'll be dead. So I don't think it's amazing, but it is very well positioned against the Eldrazi decks right now. They don't have very many ways to deal with it. They have Ratchet Bomb, which is really slow. And I think some of them, that was really the only option. Uh, and it still is useful against decks like Burn and a few other places. So uh, I feel like this is kind of a moment in the sun, sun type of thing for Warship. It's not even that great in EDH because that card won't matter until somebody blows it up and then you're dead. Uh, so I very much like selling this card right now. Uh, kind of surprised that we've seen this much of a price gain given how many copies are out there, even though they're all old sets. So uh, I am just, I've unloaded all the copies I could find and I highly recommend you do the same. Yeah, this is the kind of card where, you know, the supply online will be relatively low when the de- demand is low. But once a card like this spikes to $20, dealers dealers will send somebody back into the back room to look through the bulk boxes and pull out a bunch more. And a couple of weeks later, yeah, you're going exactly to see hundreds of these copies online. Um, it's not it's not a card I expect to be, um, you know, very well positioned in modern. It's certainly not a four of when it's included, and there's not that many decks that can run it. Sure, it does, you know, certain decks like Affinity can't do anything about it at all in pre or post sideboard, um, but a lot of other decks can figure out a way around it. Um, so, yeah, it, if you can get out on copies between 15 and 20 in trade or cash, by all means, run for the hills. And I mean, Infinity will just kill you with Infect too, right? I mean, like, I can't think of a deck that doesn't have some way to deal with this, whether by killing you through alternative means or destroying it at some point. Yep, fair enough. Okay, so uh, let's move on to our picks of the week, uh, the cards that uh, we think uh, you guys should be on the lookout for as potential pickup targets to add to your spec box. Um I'm going with a repeat this week from uh, three weeks ago and um, when I called Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger as a card that could hit $40 this year when it was sitting in around 25 to 27 um, 
based on lesser play in both standard and modern um, coming out of the Pro Tour, um, Ulamog has slid back to about $20, which makes it even more attractive in my mind. Um, the reason I like this card um, is because it has a decent chance of being a four of at some point again this year on standard, at which point it should be able to top 30 to 35 in the fall as a mythic from the, fall, the previous fall set. Um, and if it never gets there, that's going to be fine because it'll transition into a midterm hold um, as one of the most iconic Eldrazi ever printed. Um, this will be a card that people will be chasing for years. And as long as it doesn't get reprinted in some weird promo foil version or something, I think it'll be a, a safe double up down the road. Yeah, this is great. As, you know, all the original Eldrazi did very well. Um, and over, over time, and, and Ulamog is, is also very competitively positioned, better than Kozlov the Great Distortion right now. He does a lot to the board, it's very obvious. Uh, so not only does he have that casual, you know, giant monster appeal at 10 mana, he's on that threshold for being sort of castable in some older formats, and, and he's just very powerful, he's a very good cast. Uh, so so I, like, I like Ulamog a lot here. And I mean, I can't see you losing money, even if three years down the road, I mean, he's still going to be at the worst, the 20 bucks you paid for him. Um, my first pick this week is Arborea from Legends, currently about three-ish, three to four bucks. I could see this hitting 15 to $25. Uh, you know, it's again, one of these Legends cards. It's a on the reserve list. We've already seen, and the string of these cards that have spiked at this point is untold, long. You know, we had Stormseeker, Suchi, uh, a variety of others. Uh, Arbori was written about by Chez Andres a while ago when he talked about the old school magic format and, and what it can do to card prices and some stuff that was still underpriced. I really like Arboria because it's great and it's very playable in EDH. Uh, if you have a deck that is able to flash things in on your opponent's turn, you can be locked out of ever getting attacked. Which is, which is very powerful in that format. So, again, with such a low buy-in price, it's going to be so hard not to... Lo- it's going to be so hard to lose money on this, right? Like, three bucks, I mean, you're, you're in re- very good shape. Uh, there's huge potential for, for profit there. I will toss out there, I own probably about six or seven copies I ordered, so I'm just giving you guys a heads-up, fair disclosure. Yeah, the, the thing here, Travis, is that on TCG Player right now, there are exactly eight copies. And they range in price from $4 to $6. So I will be extremely surprised if after the people listening to this cast hear that, that someone doesn't scoop these up and close it out. Um, I'm going to steer clear of it just to watch what happens. Um, But let's check back in next week and see where Arborea ended up. Yeah, I want to be able to brag that I spiked it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So moving on to uh, my next uh, card of the week. Um, um, I'm actually going to talk about both of mine at, at once here. Um, there sure. are a couple of uh, utility lands in Oath uh, of the Gatewatch that are way under the radar right now um, because of all the attention on the Eldrazi and, and the Mythics in the set that uh, are, are gaining uh, more notoriety in both Standard and Modern. Specifically, I'm talking about Mirpool, um, Foils of Mirpool as a, a Mythic utility land and the rare land Seagate Wreckage. Um, Mirpool, if you're not familiar, comes into play tapped. It can be tapped for colorless mana, which is a relevant ability these days. And for um, two different costs, it can either copy a spell or copy a creature um, if you uh, pay a, a certain mana cost and then sacrifice the land. Um, Seagate Wreckage, on the other hand, um, draws extra cards if you have none in hand, as long as you've got two uh, generic mana and a colorless mana uh, to tap alongside that land. Um, these are exactly the kind of lands that are are prone to spikes in the mid to long term. 
um, that are typically underestimated when they first come out because they're not four ofs in, in de- relevant decks. But um, we're already seeing high foil multipliers versus the, the default price here. I think uh, Mirpool is uh, at about a five times foil multiplier and Seagate Wreckage is at three to four times. Um, that's on some early EDH demand. Um, that demand's never going to go away. These have both both of these cards have unique abilities, and you know Mirpool can be picked up in foil for about twelve to thirteen. It's an easy thirty dollar foil down the road for over a hundred percent gain. Seagate wreckage foils are about eight dollars, easy twenty dollar plus foil down the road for again over a hundred and fifty percent gain. Um, I'd be stocking away as many of these as you can get, folks, if you can handle the mid to long term hold. Because two to three years from now, there's no way these things aren't over those price brackets. <laughs> I'm very amused that you have both of these listed because I picked up a foil mirror pool for Commander uh, about two weeks ago, and yesterday I added and got sent a foil Seagate wreckage also for EDH. So, uh, Bingo. You're, you're, yeah, you're completely right. Like right there. Um, all right, my other pick for the week is uh, another. This one's a little mid to long. I'm looking at Spike Feeder specifically foil copies, whether they're the pack foils or the FNM promo. Uh, these are Spike Feeders part of the Archangel of Thune combo in, that we've seen in the core decks. So if you have Spike Feeder and Archangel of Thune, uh, you remove a counter from Spike Feeder to gain life, which triggers Archangel of Thune, which puts the counter back on Spike Feeder, so you have an infinite life combo. This has sort of replaced um, the Malira combo that we saw in Birthing Pod. It, you know, as you look through the Abzan list right now, it seems like we saw a lot of the Anafenza uh, Persist um, Kitchen Finks combo in those types of decks, but it seems like we're pushing more back towards Archangel of Thune Spike Feeder builds, which you can actually see uh, in Archangel of Thune having picked up value recently. That card has started to move up north. In fact, it's, it's over on some of the websites to track prices. So clearly there's a, there's a movement towards that combo right now, and this type of strategy in deck is actually very well positioned against Eldrazi as well, because being able to go infinite life is great. And there's a lot of incidental life gain floating around in the deck as well. So it's well positioned to deal with the brunt of those attacks. Uh, we're also seeing court of calling start moving, which all points to spike feeder doing well, spike feeder coming back to that card specifically again was from time spiral. There were like 400 some odd cards in that set. So foils are few and far between of any individual card. There was an, also an F and M promo that was still old border. So that's also very old. Uh, I really like this card as foils. You can pick them up for like eight or nine bucks right now. We can see prices upwards. I think easily of $20, possibly more. So I would keep an eye out for this uh, as a potential gainer as part of the modern combo scene. Yeah, I mean, doing a brief survey on TCG, there's less than 30 or 40 copies of the foil, um, and not all of the printings were available in foil. Um, So a reasonable pick. Okay. Uh, So now we're going to hop over to cards to sell, what we guys think you should be getting rid rid of right now. Uh, I'm looking at James, what James wrote down, and uh, I completely agree with what he's about to tell you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this will be a surprise to any of you, but it's extremely likely that uh, Eye of Ugin, maybe Eldrazi Temple gets banned and probably in the very next ban cycle. Um, 
after uh, Shadows of Innistrad is released in in April, um, I would be extremely surprised um, if one of those two lands didn't get the axe. And if it gets the axe, the general consensus is that the Eldrazi deck will still exist in some form in modern, but will no longer be tier one and will probably fall back into uh, the the realm of the you know casual sphere. Um, that being the case, there are some very high-profile rares and mythics here that have spiked very hard on the success of the, the various forms of the deck. Cards like uh, Eye of Ugin, uh, Foil Eldrazi Temples, Reality Smasher, Thought Not Seer. Um, these are all cards that you're going to want to get out of while the getting's good unless you're playing them because they are very likely to see a downward trend line um, as we get closer to the, the banning moment. Um, I will temper all of that with... Um, know the following if the the g modern gps and i believe we get three of them before that banning cycle comes up um the the three modern gps that are upcoming were to demonstrate that the eldrazi deck was not placing that highly because the metagame shifted and solved the eldrazi equation um then maybe it wouldn't get banned um however given how broken the lands are and how explosive their starts are i have yet to see a deck that can consistently put the eldrazi decks uh uh in the grave um there's a lot of different solutions being uh theorized that you know can slow them down but are not the kind of coffin nail that say stony silence is versus affinity um and on that basis uh you know take your money and run yeah i you know i, I am of the opinion that we probably won't see a ban in the near future unless this deck turns out to be just completely insurmountable, which is hard to say at this point. I am like 80% that something gets banned next winter, uh, this time next year, but I completely agree that you should be selling all of your standard Eldrazi, or at least uh, I shouldn't say I agree. I think that you should be selling all of your standard Eldrazi right now because uh, I don't care what this deck does. They're not going to be more expensive than they are now. So uh, all your mimics and your endless ones and all that stuff, just just pitch it. Um, and on a similar note, um, what I'm, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but Descendants Path and Warship, we talked about those as two of our huge gainers this week. I would just be shoveling those out the door as fast as you possibly can. Um, take the money and run, really, is what it comes down to. You know, I don't want to be hanging on to these spikes because they very, very rarely hang on to these uh, inflated price points for very long. Yeah, I mean, at least the Eldrazi cards are are four ofs in multiple versions of an extremely powerful deck. Worship and Descendants Path are are theoretical um, staples, and and as such, if they spike, yes. get out. Yeah. Um, all right, so um, I'm sure that if you care about Magic, if you care about Modern as a format, you definitely uh, at least caught wind of what happened at Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch this weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, the, the first and only modern pro tour of the year. And boy, was it a doozy. Um, when all was said and done, we had Eldrazi decks lay absolute waste to the field um, to the yeah, an extent <laughs> to an extent that we have not seen since Cobblade uh, dominated. I believe it was pro tour Paris several years back. Um, Channel Fireball put over a dozen players in the top 24 with their build of colorless Eldrazi, including um, Shuhei Nakamura and LSV and Ivan Flock, all running colorless Eldrazi in the top eight. We had Frank Lepore, who independently tested, um, running an Eldrazi processors build to an eighth place finish. And then we had the triumphant Jihen Tao 
um, and Andrew Brown um, of Team East West Bowl, both running the blue red Eldrazi deck that uh, represented a tremendous amount of tech in the Eldrazi mirror match. The only non Eldrazi decks to make top eight were two affinity decks in the hands of uh, modern masters, Pascal Maynard and Patrick Dickman. Um, who did their very best to try to, you know, steal games uh, away from the the towering uh, Drazi, but just could not put it away in the end. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, even Cobblade didn't have this representation. You know, I don't think they were six of the top eight. I believe the last time we had 75% was Elves in Berlin, um, which LSV was part of back then as well, amusingly enough. And then before that, it might have been Flash Hulk at GP Columbus, this has happened like three or four times in the history of magic. I think affinity and Tolaria Academy also did it. And those are about it. There might be one or two more fooling out there. So I uh, just, just unreal, unreal, the level of, of domination we've seen this deck put forward. Um, but I don't think that's news to anyone at this point. Well, I mean, one of the interesting things here is that the de- Eldrazi decks only made up 7% of the metagame coming into day one. So what that means is that a lot of the teams that were testing um, and the players that were testing independently simply never got to the point where they found an Eldrazi list that was this good. Um, the, you know, the the CFB team, despite having some of the best magic minds on the planet, um, you know, their list was not that different from, say, the black-white uh, Eldrazi or uh, mono-black or red-black Eldrazi um, processor list that uh, were kind of the um, forerunners of the Frank Lepore list. Um, it was really only Team S- East-West Bowl with their blue-red Eldrazi list that got to that next-level tech. A lot of the other teams just, you know, you know, t- tested versions of earlier versions of Eldrazi, uh, didn't find the tech, and, and they suffered as a result. Yep. All right. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's go get Andrew right now. Okay, we are here with Andrew Brown, uh, top eight competitor at Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch, uh, promising up and coming Magic player, game designer, GP Denver 2015 champion, and part of the East West Bowl team that brought us the insane contraption that is the blue red aldrazi deck andrew how are you today uh pretty good thanks for that excellent introduction <laughs> <laughs> well i i think you've earned it brother uh, I mean, yeah I, I i can't recall uh, a deck that surprised more people at a modern major modern tournament um you know anytime in recent memory um more than the blue red aldrazi deck this weekend um yeah it's uh it's quite the contraption. I guess that's a good word for it. <laughs> I think I think BDM said that it looked like you had just drafted on Thursday night and decided to register what you drafted. Like you, yeah. you, ran, you ran your 3-0 pool at the hotel and you're like, yeah, this is good enough yeah. for the pro tour. Yeah, yeah, we'll just run it back. It's actually pretty funny. In my first draft, I had a vile aggregate. So, you know, I'm just playing that one in all formats. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let, let's review just for the people that may not be aware what this deck included. Um, you know, you, you guys were running uh, the standard Eldrazi core with Eldrazi Temple, Eye of Ugin, um, Thought Not Seer, uh, yep. Reality uh, Smasher, etc. But you also mm-hmm. had multiple copies of Drowner of Hope, Eldrazi Obligator, Vile Aggregate, a pair of Ruination Guides, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, my deck had one Ruination Guide, but yeah, about that. Got you. And you were also running a sole copy of Gemstone Caverns, if I'm if I'm correct. Yeah, uh, 
JC had one gemstone cavern. I had one gemstone cavern in the main and one in the side, but he was playing Tomb of the Spirit Dragon instead. But pretty, pretty similar. Great. So can you give us a little bit of background on, you know, set the scene for us. You're, you're in your testing environment with Team East-West Bowl, and you guys are trying to figure out the best deck to bring to the Pro Tour. Talk us mm-hmm. through how you arrived at this decision. Well, we obviously saw the power in Temple and I, so uh, we just kind of tried to build the black decks, you know, the ones that everybody had been talking about because of the interaction between I and Urborg. But it really broke through when we just decided not to play black cards. And that really opened the door for like all types of combinations like blue-green, red-green. Um, and then eventually this blue-red one that we came to. Um, so the big moment was Urborg isn't good enough. And let's just find which creatures that we can abuse with Eye and Temple. You see, that's where I'm curious is you guys are running the Sky Spawner, which seems... Like a card you pick up, uh, you look into once you're deep into examining blue. But what were the cards that made you say, hey, we should give blue and or red a shot? Uh, well, so the biggest the biggest uh, thing about the blue and the red cards is that they're all three drops. And that interacts best with Ivugan. So let's say you play land, endless one, or mimic, right? And then you can play colored land, three drop, right? But the best thing comes after that on turn three, where you can pump out two three drops, two colored three drops in one turn. So abusing I to make uh, two mana twice in one turn is probably the the number one reason we chose this version. It, it's really not about color. It was about the the Eldrazi that happened to sit on curve and provide you know good in game advantage versus what you were expecting to face. Yeah, exactly. Plus, um, like each of those cards is great in, in a different matchup. Like Vile Aggregate is so good against Zoo and Burn. Sky Spawner is great against Affinity. And Ruination Guide can provide such a clock against non-interactive opponents. All right, so I'm going to jump in here with the stuff that I think is definitely going to be marketed towards the people that are listening to us. Um, what do you see happening with this deck in the near future? You know, you're, you want to show up with us at, at a GP uh, mm-hmm. in the March at this GP weekend. What are you doing differently to this deck? Uh, I'm probably raising the amount of hate cards. Um, GPs are a little more uh, volatile than Pro Tours, so I'll probably want to just cover my bases on the volatile decks. So like four Chalice, four Stubborn Denial, four Gut Shot. Just really make sure that I have enough cards for a certain matchup. Do you think you're going to tweak the main deck at all? maybe like probably add the second ruination guide for the third obligator. That's about it. The The deck is extremely good. So do you think this deck is still very well positioned given the hate that's likely being brought to bear against the Eldrazi core now? Well, I don't understand what the hate cards are yet. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> well, we, can, like, we, we can talk a little bit about what people are, you know, trying to field, um, you know, cards like worship, Living end as an as a deck concept in in general. Oh uh, yeah, paint, sure. Paint, painter's servant uh, as something yep. that you know shuts down your dual lands. Um, well, with living end, there's like they they're playing living end then, so they don't have a good chance in the tournament, I don't think. But uh, you got you have stubborn Nile and chalice. But uh, yeah, worship is definitely the big one. Uh, I don't know. Probably bring some uh, cyclonic rifts or echoing truth. Something like that. <laughs> that would be some sexy tech. 
this is I'm curious then. So everyone that you know the, the big thing right now is trying to, to crack how do you beat Eldrazi and we're seeing all sorts of ideas. But in your testing and your experience, is there anything that you've seen that kind of sent a chill down your spine? You're like, okay, that could actually be really difficult to beat. Um <clears throat> Not off the top of my head right now. Like, just I have Hugin and Temple are just make everything so ridiculous that nobody can keep up with you. Well, what do you think about Falminator Major Blood Moon? Those are so slow. Like, it take they have to get them out on turn three. Well, on my turn three, I can have eleven mana worth of creatures out, and then you're tapping out for a Stone Rain essentially. So I don't really. If you if you keep a good hand, Blood Moon and or Falminator or Ghost Quarter is not going to beat you. Right, and, and especially if they're on if they're on the draw as opposed to the play, they're a full turn back from where it's going to matter. <clears throat> yeah, so like you win game one because they're not prepared for you. They let's say play all their hate cards on you game two, but on game three you're on the play. So there's the catch. Gotcha. So let's let's talk a little bit about you know what the implications are for you know the next cycle of bannings. Um, are you of the opinion, having piloted this into a pro tour top eight and and you know spent hours uh, testing and and playing the interactions with some of the best players on the planet, it, is there a card that needs to be banned out of this deck? Uh, I mean, most likely it would have to be Eldrazi Temple, but uh, I'd rather see Ivogan ban just because. I don't like Tron. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Fair it enough. Temple because you can put multiple in the play? Is that the idea behind that? Uh, no, I is actually the bigger offender because it can potentially make more mana in one turn. Like I was saying, um, you can play two, three drops on turn three with I and double colored land. That's where the biggest power is. Right. It's Because it's, it's it can that... discount your mana multiple times a turn rather than Temple doing a one shot two mana thing. Exactly. So let's talk about those two scenarios. If Temple goes, deck is dead? Deck is dead. If any of them go, deck is dead. Okay. And and dead out of modern completely? Oh, definitely. Because in our testing, we realized that you had to mulligan every hand that didn't have an eye or a temple. And just increasing that by 50% is just untenable. So you, the deck would just die immediately. So, so let me run this by you. I'm not sure if you've even, you know, run through this process in your own brain yet. But there, there's been a lot of talk now about legacy Eldrazi. Um, yeah. Where you gain eight, eight more unfair lands. And there was a deck that ran pretty hot at the uh, tournament in Milan this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. are, you, are you a legacy player at all? Do you have any opinions on the, vi- the viability of the deck there? Uh, no, I don't play legacy at all just because it can't. It's not a pro tour format, nor can it qualify you unless you go to that one GP. But uh, yeah, like Ancient Tomb and City of Traders plus these lands does sound pretty sweet to me. <laughs> yep, that's I the idea. See, uh, good, you put Candelabra in there. <laughs> oh man, uh. <laughs> just an unfun little one drop. Jeez, that would be so ridiculous. I, I am kind of curious. I keep looking at this one gemstone caverns, and it's kind of gotten to me. Why one? Like, this feels like the type of card that you could easily run two or three of. I mean, I know it's legendary, but like yeah. at least two of, right? Like, getting to put that into play early and then leading with a temple or an eye just seems unreal. It is it is nice, but you this deck is extremely mana-hungry. You never want to have a land that just dies because you have Endless One, Drowner, and in those weird situations where you want to activate eye, you want every single land you can get. 
So that was just a cost we weren't willing to pay. Okay. Did you try it with two or three? Yeah, we tried it a couple times, but uh, every time we drew two, obviously, it was the worst. So yeah. we just decided not to do it. All right. So th- so that's interesting then, because I was looking at Gemstone Caverns as a possible point where uh, where this deck could kind of funnel more into, but it sounds like that that's not really a viable option. Yeah, I mean, I had a second one in my sideboard. Sometimes you want an extra land, and you definitely sighted in on the draw. So... Mm. I think that's the that's the spot where you need it. And you definitely need an extra land in the sideboard for this deck. Just in, in some of the matchups, you really need to cast your spells. Okay. Uh, I mean, it sounds to me like what you're saying is you aren't changing the main deck much at all. You think that the core of the creatures are really good. The mana base is completely solid. You know, yep. You're going to tweak your sideboard to be a little more hateful. And mm-hmm. you really don't see anything out there that's really threatening this deck's positioning at the moment uh one of the decks that was consistently smashing this deck in testing was the green blue eldrazi deck we made it had a uh, sky spawner and sky sky spawner and scion summoner it also had vile redeemer as another three drop that had flash um that one during like the big eldrazi combats where these big monsters would trade it would come down post combat and make a, di- a bunch of different guys, and then they would follow up with the Ruination Guide, and that would usually win. But uh, we decided against it just because Vile Aggregate and Obligator were better against um, the field rather than uh, our pseudo Eldrazi mirror matches. Okay, now I'm, gonna, I'm curious, real quick. You said Scion Summoner, and what was the other card you said was Vile Redeemer? Vile Redeemer. Okay, so for uh vile redeemer why am i that's a it's two green devoid flash um you can pay (coughs) colorless when it comes in and then you get a scion for every creature that died that turn oh okay okay so in our like battle of titans uh this guy would come down post combat and then clean up the game okay okay that makes sense so do you think that the green-blue version is good enough um, right now, given that we're going to see the, probably this this density of Eldrazi deck showing up at the modern GPs in March and in general probably a lot, do you think it makes sense to move into the blue-green version as sort of trying to next level the people? So level one is going to be like the team, the, the Channel Fireball deck. Level two is yeah. like your, your build that people will play to beat the level one. And then do you think that the blue-green is worth playing to kind of try and level both of them? Uh, I mean, it's a great deck against the Eldra- the other Eldrazi decks, but uh, we haven't tested any of the other matchups. So for now, I'd probably just stick with my version. But if it did come to that, I would play the blue-green version. Okay, okay. And I just, I'm, I'm just asking because I know the, the people that are listening to this are really hungry for understanding uh, what could be coming down the pipeline, trying to get ahead of some of that stuff. So like mm-hmm. I see Vile Redeemer <clears throat> as possibly another another way that this could go, which is which is interesting. Yeah, because there are, there are so many versions of this deck, but uh, definitely, again, the heaviness on the three drops, so Scion, Summoner, and Vile Redeemer, those fit the bill. So there's a ton of ways you can build it, and uh, that's how we did it. Okay, okay. Um, is there more that you feel that we should know? Is there something we're missing, something you want people to know about with this deck? Uh, the blue-green one or the blue-red one? Either or. Um, 
Mulligan every hand that does not have Eye of Ugin or Dildrazi Temple. And if you keep that up, then you're, you'll are you have a recipe for success. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. Straight from the horse's mouth on this one. All right. So one of the things I think is interesting here, guys, is the, the foils um, you know, took forever to show any motion at all, um, even though the deck went 19-1 and one on the first day of the Pro Tour across the various members of Team East-West Bowl. Um, by day two, you know, it took until almost the end of the day where it was becoming painfully obvious that a blue-red Eldrazi build was going to make the top eight before we saw any motion. And and now the foils have pretty much stalled out. We've got Drowner of Hope, uh, a rare um, from uh, from Oath at uh, $5. Um, Eldrazi Obligator, uh, a rare from Oath, $5 foil. Vile Aggregate and Ruination Guide are both uncommons, of course, but both of those foils have pretty much stalled out. Um you figure that it's, you know, people are scared that the banning is coming down the pipeline and, and given how weird this build was, nobody really wants to jump in? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty weird, but um, I think it definitely has legs to stay a deck for a very long time. So I think investors are safe to put their money in these foils for now and then probably sell them off before the next banning. Do you think that, that we're looking at a a ban did, did you feel like it was a generate enough that they're going to ban it out of cycle or they're going to wait until next february they're going to wait until next february i think because right. people are just investing in their cards now and it would be a uh, be not the nicest to ban them immediately such as the the catch 22 that wizards works under is you have this deck that could end up taking over modern for an entire calendar year but if they ban it people get real angry because they just bought all those cards yeah it's a, uh, it's not a good position to be in. <laughs> so, so here's my theory: if this deck shows up as a one or a two of in the top eights of the triple GP that's in that weekend in March, um, I think they let it live for a while. If it shows up as four or more in at least two of those three tournaments, I think we do see I get banned in April. That's where I'm at. That is a reasonable stance, and uh, I'll take it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew, thank you very much for your time. Congratulations again on your Pro Tour yep. Top 8. Uh, wonderful to have you, and good luck with your future brewing experiences. Um, folks, that's a wrap here this week. Um, Travis, where can we find you online? Uh, my name, is, again, is Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, big thanks to our guest again, Andrew Brown. Andrew, where can people find you? Uh, nowhere. <laughs> I don't know. At Magic Tournaments, come up. All right, so and Andrew is off the grid. All right, so you know this is this is your one and only shot to get to listen to him. Uh, yeah, just come up right. to me to tournaments and say hi. That's all. That's all I can say. Sounds good. So you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And that brings us to the end of uh, our fourth episode of MTG Fast Finance. I've really enjoyed our time here today, Travis, and we'll talk next week. Thanks, James. See you next week. Mm-hmm.